This is uh, Dr. Pedro Ramirez, Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. And today I have the pleasure of uh, speaking with Dr. Michael Fromowitz, who's also a professor in gynecologic oncology and fellowship director at MD Anderson Cancer Center. We're going to talk about the subject of the role of sentinel lymph node mapping in cervical cancer. Um, how are you, Michael? I'm great. Thank you for having me today, Pedro. Great. Thank you. Um, I wanted to just start talking with you regarding uh, your thoughts on whether sentinel lymph node mapping uh, in cervical cancer today should be considered uh, experimental or whether we really should consider it as our new standard of care. I think for appropriate patients, it should be considered the standard of care. Uh, and when I say appropriate patients, I mean patients with small uh, tumors, less than four centimeters, limited to the cervix. Uh, that's not to say that not doing sentinel lymph nodes is not standard of care. I think there are two uh, appropriate or, or, or relevant strategies for assessing the lymph nodes. If you're comfortable doing sentinel nodes, uh, I think that can be considered the standard of care and sentinel lymph node only biopsy. But if you're not doing that in your practice or you don't have the resources, I think a complete lymphadenectomy is still within the standard of care also. So take us through the, uh, the Sentinel lymph node algorithm at, at MD Anderson. What do you do today at MD Anderson? So at MD Anderson, we've uh, adopted a Sentinel lymph node only uh, approach. We are using essentially the algorithm that was laid out by Memorial Sloan Kettering, which is to assess all of the lymph nodes. Any lymph nodes that are suspicious should be removed regardless of mapping. Uh, any lymph nodes seen on preoperative imaging, if you did preoperative imaging, should be removed, or any suspicious lymph nodes on preoperative imaging should be removed regardless of mapping. And then if a hemipelvis does not map, that hemipelvis should get a complete lymphadenectomy. So the absence of mapping does not mean the absence of disease. It just means that you didn't map well and you need to do a complete lymphadenectomy. The, the other important part of our algorithm or the, the general algorithm is to make sure that your pathologist is on board and that you do ultra-staging and immunohistochemistry on all lymph nodes that are negative by H&E staining. Great. And, uh, and certainly I want to talk to you a little bit later about um, the intraoperative uh, decision-making. Um, but just before going to that topic, um, I know that obviously there have been a number of tracers that have been used uh, over the last several years. Um, what do you consider uh, is the ideal tracer when performing sentinel lymph node mapping for cervical cancer patients? Well, before I answer that question, let me just make a, a quick disclosure that uh, I was the, the PI for the film study, which looked at ICG as, as a tracer for lymphatic mapping. Uh, and I also uh, am reimbursed by Stryker for, for uh, services. Uh, but I do feel that ICG is probably the best uh, tracer that we have right now using ICG with near-infrared imaging. Uh, you know, recent studies have shown a much higher detection rate, both any node and bilateral, bilateral nodes. Um, but certainly the combination of blue dye and technetium is also a very acceptable, uh, uh, acceptable tracer use that you can, that you can use. Uh, I think that blue dye alone is probably suboptimal, uh, and that really you should be using both dyes if you don't have ICG. And you mentioned uh, the results of the, of the film study. Can you expand a little bit on, on that particular study? I know that you had uh, presented this study previously. So the, the film study basically compared ICG alone to blue dye alone in patients with cervix and uterine cancers um, and after a cervical injection. The 
results showed that the ICG was significantly better at identifying any node in a patient as well as bilateral nodes in patients uh, by, by a long shot. Um, and so we felt that uh, that study kind of conclusively showed that ICG is probably the, the optimal tracer. And um, I, I know that there's been some uh, comments or suggestions uh, with regards to whether one should use more than one tracer. So in other words, and particularly for those who are going through the learning curve, uh, would it be better to use uh, green, technetium, blue, all of them at the same time? So I don't think there's a downside to using multiple tracers. Uh, I don't, but I also don't think it's necessary. Certainly, the studies that have looked at ICG alone versus ICG plus, whether that's ICG plus blue, radiocolloid, or all three together, uh, haven't shown a significant increase in sentinel node detection with all three. Uh, so I think if you have the the uh, ability to use near infrared imaging and ICG in your practice, that ICG alone is is uh, sufficient. However, if you don't, then I do strongly recommend that you use blue dye and radiocolloid together because that combination seems to be much better than either of those alone. Now, going forward with regards to the um, the actual steps of the of the technique for those particularly who are going through their initial uh, learning curve, um, can you give us a little bit about the details in your practice with regards to the concentration of the tracer that you use, the dilution? Um, and also some of the details regarding the injection sites. So again, at, at our, in our practice, we're using ICG and near-infrared imaging now. The ICG comes powdered in, in, in a 25 milligram uh, vial, and we dilute that with 20 mLs of water. So the total dilution is 1.25 milligrams per mL. We use four injections um, of one mL each. There's a little bit of variability both within our institution and, and around the country as to how, where you inject. Um, some, such as myself, prefer, at least for cervix cancer, a four-site uh, injection, 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 9 o'clock. Uh, others are doing a 3 and 9 o'clock superficial and deep, two mLs at each. You know, I think the most important injection is that superficial injection, the one you almost want to make like a bleb in the cervix just below just below the uh, mucosa. Uh, but again, I think, you know, any of those injection techniques are probably all similar as to results. Okay. Um, now, moving forward with regards to the technique and, and the learning curve, obviously this is a, a question that uh, frequently comes up. Um, is there an appropriate number of cases uh, that is deemed to, to be necessary in order to surpass the learning curve? Well, we don't have an exact number. Um, I think most would consider 15 to 20 probably a, a appropriate number. You know, certainly uh, the nice thing about cervix cancer is that it also, you, the technique is the same as uterine cancer. So, you know, when you think back to vulvar cancer, doing 15 or 20 cases may take you two or three years if you're a busy clinician. But for cervix cancer, if you practice, so to speak, with uterine cancer, you can probably reach 15 to 20 cases in three or four months. The important thing is that you do a certain number of cases, 15, 20, 25, where you do the mapping, you uh, retrieve the sentinel nodes, you then do a complete lymphadenectomy to prove to yourself that you're not only able to find the sentinel nodes, but that the sentinel nodes are, are the indicative of what's going on in, in, the, in the basin. So once you feel that you've reached your learning curve, that you're uh, consistently identifying nodes and that those nodes are representative of what you're seeing on your complete lymphadenectomy, uh, then you can probably move on to sentinel node only. But that, that's probably, you know, 20 cases plus or minus. 
Yeah, I think you, you bring up a, a very important point with regards to, uh, it depends on what your prior experience with sentinel lymph node mapping has been in other disease sites. So, uh, for example, as you mentioned, in vulvar and endometrial, um, certainly moving forward to cervical cancer, your learning curve may be uh, lower. Yeah, and certainly within our readership, uh, particularly outside of the United States, a lot of gynecologic oncologists also operate on breast cancer. So they have a lot of experience doing sentinel nodes in that site too. So their learning curve might be much quicker. Very, very true, yeah. Um, so now you, you mentioned outside of the United States. For, for those interested in, in performing sentinel lymph node mapping in uh, low-resource countries, um, what, what is your recommendation so again, if, if, if my recommendation is to use the resources that are available to you. So it, again, most uh, settings will have technesium and blue dye available to them because they have breast surgeons and melanoma surgeons that use that. Uh, but even if you don't have technesium available to you and you only have blue dye available to you, I th it's still feasible to do it. Remember that you know, blue dye alone might not identify as many sentinel nodes as some of these other, other techniques. However, it is reliable in that if you identify a sentinel node, it's probably representative of the basin. So you may be doing more complete lymphadenectomies because you'll have a lower detection rate, but when you do map, you can be fairly certain that even with blue dye alone, that you are, are um, identifying the correct node. So in that sense, uh, do you feel that there's any role for a full lymphadenectomy any longer uh, if you have um, done the sentinel lymph node mapping, if you have access to the technology of sentinel lymph node mapping? Is there a reason to continue pursuing a full lymphadenectomy? Well, the only situations where I see a full lymphadenectomy being part of our surgery is, as I mentioned before, if a hemipelvis doesn't map, then you're obligated to do a complete site-specific lymphadenectomy. And remember about, depending on which technology you're using, 20 to 40% of the time, at least one side won't map. Um, and, uh, you know, 10 to 20% of the time, there'll be no mapping. So in those patients, you certainly should do some. And for those, uh, for those uh, people who are still doing uh, surgery on larger tumors, tumors bigger than 4 centimeters, I would say those patients are probably not good, um, uh, good patients for mapping. Uh, and they should have complete lymphadenectomy. There's a, a lot of uh, uh, um, mapping doesn't work so well in tumors bigger than four centimeters, either because it's difficult to inject, the lymphatic channels may be clogged with, with debris or tumor emboli. And so really tumors bigger than four centimeter, if you're a center that's still operating on those, I would not rely on lymphatic mapping. You mentioned the, the rate of sentinel lymph node detection. Um, what should be the target aim for anyone uh, starting to do sentinel lymph node mapping? What should be the ideal uh, bilateral, bilateral uh, rate of detection? Well, it depends what tracers you're using. But in general, if you're using ICG, uh, we talk about kind of 95-80, meaning 95% of the time you'll identify at least one sentinel node and 80% of the time bilateral sentinel nodes. If you're using blue dye or technesium or the combination, it's closer to 80-60. 80% of the time you'll identify at least one sentinel node. 60% of the time you'll identify bilateral sentinel nodes. But again, that's not the reliability or, or the validity of the, the technique. It's just how many times you're going to have to do a complete lymphadenectomy because you're not identifying nodes. 
Now, going on to uh, the subject of um, the frozen section evaluation, and I know that this is a practice that somewhat varies between the United States and, and elsewhere. Um, what are your thoughts with regards to routinely sending the sentinel lymph node for frozen section evaluation, even if those lymph nodes do not appear to be grossly involved with disease? Yeah, I, I think that I, I agree with you that there's a little bit of, of practice variation between the U.S. And, and other countries, although my sense is that the there's going to be less and less use of frozen section in sentinel nodes from what I've seen in the literature as well as prospective studies that are ongoing. Uh, but in general, uh, our center, we've decided not to, use sen- uh, not to use frozen sections on sentinel nodes unless we have a high suspicion that there's uh, positive disease, so if they're grossly abnormal or for any other suspicion. You know, our pathologists have really tried to discourage us from doing that. They feel that when they do the frozen section, they lose a a lot of material. uh, And that when we talked earlier before about ultra-staging and immunohistochemistry, by destroying some of the material during frozen section, they lose the opportunity to to find small-volume disease uh, on final pathology and and immunohistochemical processing. Yeah, so high high rate of uh, inaccurate information uh, at frozen section. Um, and not ideal for subsequent evaluations. Um, Now, with regards to subsequent management, one of the questions that I think frequently comes up is the the issue of when you find positive uh, sentinel lymph nodes, um, either in the form of micrometastases or isolated tumor cells, uh, what is your standard recommendation for those patients? Well, I think for micrometastases, there's pretty minimal debate about uh, essentially treating those as you would positive uh, nodes. Remember, micrometastatic disease is tumor deposits less than 2 millimeters in size, but bigger than 0.2 millimeters in size. So we lump those. We certainly lump those together with with macrometastatic disease. Isolated tumor cells seem to be a little more difficult to kind of categorize. You know, at our center right now, we're still treating them as positive nodes, but I know at other centers, uh, they're treating those as negative nodes. Uh, there's really not a good consensus right now on, on how to best treat those. Certainly, uh, there's even a smaller category than isolated tumor cells, essentially you know, what they call uh, cytokeratin positive. Um, those we are not treating as positive nodes. So there's, there's still a little bit to be worked out on, on how we manage isolated tumor cells. So one question in, 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 uh, in conclusion. Um, do you know of any uh, prospective trials evaluating the oncologic outcomes of sentinel lymph node alone versus a full lymphadenectomy? In other words, uh, you know, a frequent discussion is, do we really need to move forward with a prospective randomized trial uh, looking at this particular question? Yeah. Yeah, that, there's there's two studies I know of right now that are, are ongoing to, to look at that, uh, both out of Europe. Uh, the first is the, the Centix study that's being led by David Sabula. Um, you know, this is a, a phase two study, so everyone gets the central node only, uh, and then they're going to compare it to historical controls looking for um, um, a recurrence rate of you know, 7% plus or minus 5%. Um, the other is the Sentacol 3 study, which is uh, being led by Fabrice Lecourou. This is actually a true phase 3 study where patients will get randomized to sentinel lymph node only or sentinel lymph node followed by a complete lymphadenectomy. Uh, and again, uh, they're looking at a three-year disease-free survival rate uh, to see if there is a difference in, in, um, in recurrence and survival for those who get sentinel node versus complete lymphadenectomy. What, what are your thoughts with regards to um, 
patience, acceptance, or, or willingness to enter in a, a full randomized trial when there are a number of patients, as you know, who already come in uh, very savvy about the principle of sentinel lymph node alone? Well, I, I, you know, I think that uh, obviously a lot of this is how the physician and investigator spins the study to their patient, uh, you know, how you, how you kind of propose the, the, the study. Uh, I think right now, because there's still a little bit of ambiguity, the patients are probably okay accepting being randomized to central lymph node only versus complete pelvic lymphadenectomy. Well, Michael, it's been absolutely a pleasure speaking with you. This has been very informative. Uh, any final thoughts you want to give to the audience of the International Journal? Well, I think if you're going to start doing sentinel nodes in your practice, you know, the, the first thing is to make sure that if you're going to be using technique, that, to think about it as a team approach. So, you know, if you're, using if you're using technesium, you're going to want your nuclear medicine doctor on board. You're certainly going to want to talk to your pathologist about how they process and uh, section the uh, sentinel nodes. And then to just start doing it. I mean, you know, even if you only have blue dye available to you, start injecting all of your patients with blue dye and doing mapping and follow that with a complete lymphadenectomy. Uh, even if you never go to sentinel node only, just by identifying sentinel nodes before you do the complete lymphadenectomy, you then can probably find more disease because you're giving the pathologist nodes to do ultra staging and immunohistochemistry. So it'll benefit your patient even if you're still going to do complete lymphadenectomy and never do sentinel node only. Well, great. Thank you very much once again, Michael. Great. Thank you, Pedro.